welcome to episode two of the Dine One Six. My name is Max Connor, and if you listened last week and you're joining me this week, thank you very much for coming back. Last week was all about my first love in food, and that's baking. And this week is all about coffee, which I love almost just as much. In fact, like so many of us, there are few things I look forward to more each day than that first cup of coffee. So I wanted to find someone who could really go in-depth into the world of coffee. Because while I enjoy a really quality cup, I'm by no means a coffee connoisseur. And that brought me to my guest today, Tamar Ruxin. Tamar is a roaster for a small coffee company here in Sacramento called Two Seeds Coffee. Tamar is not only an excellent roaster, but she's also a certified Q Arabica coffee grader, which is a certification held only by a few hundred people here in the U.S., Basically, it means the Tamar's palate for coffee is mind-bogglingly refined, and she can sip a cup of coffee with her eyes closed and tell you all about it. I visited Tamara in the Two Seeds warehouse in Land Park, where she was roasting a small batch of coffee in an old drum roasting machine that has no computer or software, just an old-school temperature gauge and a bunch of levers. The roasters in her warehouse look like something out of the train museum in Old Sack, and she roasts by the sound, the smell, and the temperature of the beans. We sat down in the lobby with a couple microphones and a couple cups of fresh coffee she brewed for me, and she broke down the sometimes pretentious world of coffee in such a clear and down-to-earth way. That was my favorite part about talking with Tamara. She can go as deep and complex into the world of coffee as you want, but really, she just wants people to enjoy their coffee however they like it. Do you like it black or with cream and sugar? Do you do a pour-over, or do you use a $15 Mr. Coffee machine? However you like coffee is just fine by Tamara. So with that, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I think you'll learn a lot, as Tamara Ruxin takes us deep into the world of coffee. Tamara Ruxin, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Dine One Six. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So this episode is going to be all about coffee, but the podcast is all about food and beverage and everything else. So I still, I always love to start by asking people the role food played in your life growing up. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, and in particular, the role food had in your life growing up. Sure. Okay. I grew up in the Bay Area, and my father raised me and he his mother owned a restaurant so she owned a Chinese restaurant in Hawaii and most most of my family is in Hawaii and a little bit on my other side is in the Bay Area so he loved food and we'd go to the grocery store every day because he wanted fresh ingredients every day and cooked every day Um, and so I think I brought that tradition with me to really enjoy fresh ingredients and fresh food but he never really taught me how to cook he gave me a cookbook and then I would go through it step by step and you know try all the different recipes and then basically change all of them okay (laughs) (laughs) but um, he never really taught me to cook and I realized when I had my daughters I may have tried at certain points but I never really taught them either I think we're not great cooking teacher (laughs) so hopefully we just inspire each other because both my daughters cook also (laughs) Mm, okay 
So I know, and when we correspond a little bit, email back and forth, you had a great story about your first memories of coffee or getting into going to a cafe near your house with your dad. So I'd love it if you could share that story. Yes. So there was a restaurant around the block from where I lived. I could see that restaurant parking lot from my from my window of the townhouse that my father and I shared. And we would go on a weekend evening, get, you know, whatever regular dish I got. But at the end was always the best because he would order me a scoop of vanilla ice cream and he would get coffee and he would just spoon the coffee over the vanilla ice cream. Mm. And that was that was the best. And in those days, I don't think I knew a name for it. It was just <laughs> the only, probably the one of the only things on the entire dessert menu, because dessert wasn't as popular then, was right. a scoop, was one scoop of ice cream. So that's what I got, but it was the best with hot coffee <laughs> over it. And then you basically drink it at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. That's awesome. So when did you first get into roasting coffee? Well, tell me a little bit about your journey to getting into roasting coffee. So a few years before I started roasting, I was traveling a little bit more just for leisure. But my daughter lived in coffee growing countries frequently. So she had lived in Panama and Colombia and Ecuador. And so I was having an opportunity to see some coffee farms. Also, I saw some in Asia. And and my family is from Hawaii, and I've definitely seen coffee farms mm-hmm. there. So um, it's something I had exposure to. So one day, while my daughter was living in Colombia, I just suddenly had a gut reaction. It was one of those gut reactions that... You just can't say no to. So you can never regret that you did that because you had to do it. Mm -hmm. And it happened to me in seconds that I felt like I had to enter the coffee experience business roasting. And my um, business partner had started roasting coffee in the 1990s at a roastery in Sacramento. And learn the trade that way, which is pretty much how people learn the trade in those days. Um, And he decided he wanted to start roasting. So he was already roasting in Sacramento, started in his garage, and he was starting this coffee business. So I asked him, do you want a partner? And he was roasting. He had this roaster here. That's here. And yeah, a couple weeks later, I was learning to roast. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just one of those things that came to me so suddenly that I couldn't not just couldn't deny it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I got here, you had brewed me a couple pour overs of some light roasts which were both delicious. There was a Honduras and, uh, was it Colombia? And the Ethiopia, other one? Ethiopia. Ethiopia, and yeah, in Honduras. Um, and they were delicious. And that kind of brings me to this other question, which, and this is kind of my opinion, but like it certainly seems, you know, I grew up in Menlo Park, which is actually where the second Pete's location was. So there was one in Berkeley, and then the second one they opened was in Menlo Park. So I grew up in a household 
with Major Dickinson's blend, the darkest, oiliest coffee you can think of, and um, which is good, which is fine, but it was like for a long time, it seemed like Pete's and Starbucks in particular sort of have trained a generation of people to think that really good coffee is quality coffee that's deeply roasted and that really dark, oily coffee you're used to. And certainly over the years, that has changed a lot. Certainly it seems the roast you do are on the lighter and medium side. So can you talk a little bit about the difference in roasts and that sort of shift over time? But really, what does it mean to roast a coffee really dark? You know, what's the difference between that deeply roasted, rich oily coffee versus a really light roasted coffee. Sure. So when we roast, we roast using a curve where we try to get to a certain curve of temperatures, time and temperature. But basically, I mean, the bottom line is the darker roast coffee are just roasted, you know, longer or, or to a higher temperature, mm-hmm. basically, just like we roast anything else, you know, in an oven. But in coffee, I use a drum roaster, and there's drum or fluid bed roasters. Okay. The darker obviously goes on towards this second crack. So there's actually two cracks of, there's a first crack of coffee where the gases, the CO2, expands so much that it kind of creates a snap. And then uh, further down the roast, there's actually a second crack where more reactions had occurred. So going towards and past the second crack gives you that darker roast. But the coffee has acids in it. And the acid profile of the coffee bean is constantly changing. It's constantly changing from the time it's been picked, basically, mm-hmm. and how it's been processed and then how it gets it and then it gets into the roaster. And through the roast, the acid profile is converting from one acid to another. So these shifts are happening and some of the acids are more bitter and some of them are more flavorful. And so this profile is shifting as we go through that curve of coffee. And so where the roaster chooses to stop the roast determines if it's a light, you know, medium or dark roast coffee. And you're right, the dark roasts were really, really popular for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like now though that there's a lot of light roast coffee lovers, but there's still a lot of dark roast coffee lovers. Absolutely. So there, and there isn't one that's better. It's more your culture background experience with coffee that will bring you to one or the other. And I personally like different ones depending on maybe what I'm enjoying with it. Mm-hmm. So I sell to a shop that sells wonderful pastries. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and they sell our dark roasts because it's very, it goes really well with a pastry, the sweets. Yeah, that yeah, makes and sense. And it balances it. I don't think, there's not really one that's better, but definitely you can taste more subtle notes with the light roast and so when we grade coffee it's done at a at a fairly light roast okay yes so when it's actually graded so you're grading the a bean that then gets roasted to a standard that's graded at a light roast so that you can actually taste the really subtle notes of the coffee 
Okay. So you could taste the fruits, the florals, um, things that you cannot taste as well with a dark roast. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So you're a Q Arabica grater, which as you described is kind of like a, a sommelier for coffee, if you will. So you're not really grating the roaster, you're grating the bean itself, sort of where it comes from and the quality of the yes. coffee itself, because everyone's roasting it to the same specifications, basically. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So there's a standard. So um, as a grater, you may receive some green beans and those need to be roasted, you know, with certain specifications and then brewed with these certain specifications mm -hmm. so that everyone is calibrated yeah. across the board. And then you as a roaster, right, you want to know if what you're buying, you have an expectation if you buy something that was created by someone. Exactly. What it's, you as someone who really knows what it's going to taste like and what you can tell your your customer as someone who's also roasting coffee. And a lot of times I will, well, I always ask what the notes are because somebody has cupped it already. Mm -hmm. But I find that if we're all speaking the same language, I can, you know, just find out what the notes are. Yeah. So that's what the the Q grading is. And what's really interesting, we came here, you were roasting some coffee. You have an older sort of more manual machine. And nowadays you can buy these massive roasters with three computer monitors where you program everything and just watch, you know, the waveform. So how much does the roaster come into play when it comes to coffee? And Oh, the and, roaster comes into play. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Very, very much so. And the thing is, is that, again, everyone has a little different twist on what their ideal roast curve is, mm -hmm. and every every machine is different as well. So yeah. you really have to connect with the machine and figure out what it's doing and work with it to get to the place of your ideal roast. And now there's also processing options mm. at the farm site, and people are trying to process coffee in all different ways, which remarkably can change the flavor of a coffee okay as well that it's it's huge so not only is it the there's the plant there's the soil there's every factor that's growing the coffee but how you process it plays a huge role because it can either be wet processed or natural processed and and all these places in between and the flavors have this huge spectrum before it even gets to that roast phase. Yeah, yeah. Even before it's yeah. a green bean, I guess, I imagine. Right. Okay. You could, I mean, you, you could go crazy deep on regions and countries of coffee, but for someone who's just trying to understand a little bit, they go to, you know, a local smaller coffee shop and they see Colombia, Honduras, Ethiopia, Hawaii, you know, Kona coffee, what are just some of the real basic differences in regions? If you, if someone wants to learn a little bit more about coffee and they're standing there looking at seven bags with seven different country names, <laughs> like what, what is there to know or understand? Well, the complicated part is that different coffees are grown in all different parts of the world now, mm -hmm. too. So you can get a lot of different flavors from all different regions and countries. Um, but... When we think of South American coffees, a lot of times we think of just the mild, sweet coffees. Okay. And when we think of maybe an Ethiopian, we 
think of more of the fruitier flavors that come out of these Ethiopian coffees. Mm -hmm. Sometimes more citrus and berries that you can get with Ethiopia. And then in Asia, Indonesia, or some other Asian countries, there may be sometimes more earthy flavors that come. Okay. But the truth is, again, it depends so much on how they process and you know, what plant they're growing and the climate one year versus another year can change. Sure. But typically those are some of the flavors that you would get from a different region. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about brewing coffee because there's just, there's, I mean, there's so many levels of coffee in, in the overall experience. So again, we'll kind of keep it simple. And let's say we're talking to someone who has always drank Pete's coffee or Starbucks coffee that's been pre-ground and they keep it in the bag and they throw it in their freezer. I'm not talking about anyone specific, but when my dad hears this, he'll probably be rolling his eyes. (laughs) But uh, if someone, you know, wants to go from pre-ground coffee they buy, that's that's fine in a brewer. And they're sort of like, I'm interested, you know, I'm listening to this. I want to. I didn't realize coffee had so much to it. What was sort of like the next step? If you want to get a little bit more sophisticated with your brew, what method do you recommend and and how do you go about it? So there are a lot of methods, like you said. Um, You know, I grew up and my dad made the coffee with the Mr. Coffee type machine. Right. Always. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's still basically, you know, it'll provide a nice cup of coffee. But another, I'm going to say a different level, because there aren't really step-up levels. There are just different ways to brew, and you get a different cup, taste, body from each method, and it's really a personal preference. So I like the pour-over method. Mm -hmm. I often use the Hario, or Chemex is another one. So... I like that it's a pretty clean, would be considered a clean cup of coffee because it filters out more of the oils and so forth than some of the other methods. And I just enjoy that consistency. And honestly, I enjoy the rituals. So, Mm. and I think that has a lot to do with how we like to brew our coffee is our own personal rituals of what works for us. And, you know, I love the fact the ritual of my father making his Mr. Coffee coffee every morning. You right. know, I can kind of smell that in my <laughs> in my past history. I yeah. remember, you know, that was the ritual. And so I wouldn't change that for anything. And my ritual is I get up and I and I grind the beans. The the fresh ground beans are very nice. So that is one thing that I would probably recommend if you really want to step up the game is get a burr grinder and grind your own beans with a burr grinder Um, and just to have that fresh smell that's part of the ritual too breathe that in yeah (laughs) first thing in the morning so i enjoy the pour over method so a different method is the french press Method. That's what I do every morning. I'm a French press yeah. person. And again, that's it's different. And it gives you a fuller body coffee. And then there's also AeroPress, which came to the scene many years ago now. And there are even AeroPress competitions. And that is, it's kind of a combination because the coffee sits 
immersed mm -hmm. also as in the French press, but then it's a very short time and then you actually push it through a filter. Oh, okay. Yes. And so it's quick. That can produce, again, a little fuller body than the pour over. Um, but that's just one more method. But I do recommend grinding those beans every morning okay. with a burr grinder because isn't that the best smell? <laughs> it is, yeah. So that's your that's really how you want to brew it, brew it, but your starting place would be get some, you know, freshly roasted coffee and keep it whole bean and and grind it. Burr grinder yeah. and good water. That was yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. Yes. Because I have so. run out of filtered water and used my tap water and it I, after using filtered water for a long time and just the difference is pretty stark, especially yes. here in Sacramento. Coffee. It's actually mostly water. Right. <laughs> just, of course. Yeah. And, and infusion. So the water you start with is most important. Okay. Got it. And how, how fine do you go on a grind on a pour over for yourself? The idea is that you would want a finer grind for a pour over or a very fine grind for espresso. Right. And sure. then uh, I like a fine grind for the pour over. Um, and then you're drip coffee maker will be less fine and then your french press will again be more coarse of mm -hmm. a grind so you mentioned that it sounded like you mentioned you did a little bit of training with someone in the bay area as well or was that for yes i did okay. actually so um i studied some roasting with boot coffee campus so okay. well on boot started a company in the bay area uh, where he teaches classes, and he's been, he, he grew up roasting. And I also took my Q grading exam through the Boot Coffee campus. Okay. So, and the Q coffee grade exam, the exam itself is three days long, and then it's usually three days to basically get calibrated and, and study. So it's a six intense days of... Wow of tasting coffee <laughs> and tasting and smelling other scents and, and tastes. And yeah, Interesting. It's, it's a intense <laughs> process <laughs> and it's actually, it's 19 tests wow. that you take in those three days. So you, you had this moment and you decided I really want to get in the world of roasting coffee and you were lucky enough to live in a town that certainly has had a, huge roasting boom i mean coffee's been roasted in sacramento decades but certainly a lot of places that people know in town have kind of helped put sacramento a little bit more on the map and it's certainly i would say i mean it's it's definitely a coffee town i would say at this point so what excites you about you know the fact that you were already here in sacramento you started to get into roasting coffee and you're here in sacramento where it's something that people enjoy and you can go to lots of coffee shops and you see the notes and you can get pour over and French press and all these things. So what excites you about getting to roast here? I think what excites me most roasting here is I really like the local atmosphere mm -hmm. and it's fun for me to share a product that we've created, roasted, you know, selected, you know, a specific bean um, and create this product and then see it being served and yeah. see people enjoying it. So I think that 
I have a small company, so it's very, very local. And when I take my walk with my dog, occasionally I'll walk by one of the shops where they're serving my coffee and I can see people sitting outside enjoying yeah. it. <laughs> and that's, that's what's awesome about it. And I also, when I take that walk, I walk by Taylor's Market where the coffee is. So I get to see people enjoying it. And I think that's what's important exciting to me is sharing something very locally so if we go to your if we went to your house right now how many different bags of how many different varieties of coffee well i'll usually bring just little small amounts Mm -hmm. i'm sure i have you know four different at least four different okay ones at home right now all right probably more but yeah, every and I typically have something different every day. Yeah. Okay. Um, so talk a little bit. We were talking about this beforehand before we started recording. But can you talk a little bit about the coffee varieties themselves, the Robusta coffee and the Arabica coffee, which is, you know, the two primary. Talk a little bit about the two. What's the difference between them? Right. So as you go through like the family genus species, basically, mm-hmm. that's where things start differentiating so there's a cafea and then from there there's a arabica and a robusta so that's generally what we're drinking one or the other and the robusta will tend to be the commodity coffee it's uh, a sturdier plant easier to grow so some countries produce a lot more robusta coffee Mm -hmm. and that's um, our more traditional commodity okay so those are your big tins of coffee that are a little cheaper at the store yes yes and then your arabica is the specialty coffee but again it has to be arabica coffee that meets the grade right to be considered specialty coffee so and there's actually a robusta grading system too so you can have excellent robusta coffee most of the coffee if you're going to a specialty coffee shop it's going to be arabica coffee though and most people that are q graded are q graded in arabica coffee okay like i am but there actually is a robusta grading course as well okay interesting. yes yes so but it has a more earthy flavor the ro- robusta i actually like robusta i know a lot of people <laughs> in this industry you know, do not like Robusta. Sure, they yeah. enjoy the specialty. I actually like Robusta. I've had it at times, and but I've had high-grade Robusta where I've said, oh, I this is very different, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed those flavors. All right, so we're going to move on. The, in every interview, I ask the same for food-related rapid-fire questions. When it comes to food, or coffee for that matter, because your answer to this question <laughs> could be, could be coffee related but what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure i like dark chocolate that's a good one (laughs) um on the flip side of that if money was no object what's your favorite thing to eat well you know actually just to eat i enjoy a really fresh puttanesca with really nice olives okay maybe really nice mushrooms added in (laughs) (laughs) that sounds good uh, what's your favorite dish to cook at home? Stir fry would be just a comfort food for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort cooking. Yeah. There you go. 
And what's the dish, and it might be what we already talked about, what's the dish from childhood that you would go back and eat if you could go back in time and have your dad cook for you or even maybe it's go back to that cafe and have coffee and ice cream? What's the thing you would go back to your childhood and eat? Right. I love I love desserts. So definitely that, you know, coffee over the vanilla ice cream is sticks with me. But also my grandmother's blackberry pie Mm. that she would pick the blackberries from her garden make the pie and then it would always come out like broken into crumbles yeah (laughs) it never looked like a piece of pie (laughs) but it tasted amazing oh that's great (laughs) all right well tamara ruxin thank you so much for agreeing to come on the dine one six it was really great to have you here oh thank you for having me this was wonderful experience Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dine One Six. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you want to take a minute to rate and review the show, that's the best way for new people to find us. Although, perhaps an even better way would be for you to share it with your friends and family. So go ahead and send an email blast out to anyone you know who you think might like the show. And as I've said before, this is not just my show, it's yours. So if you have any comments or if there's anyone you think I should interview, or if you want me to investigate something related to food in Sacramento, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at max at dine16.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. The handles for both are at dine16. And if you're curious about the rigors of becoming a Q coffee grader, I link to a great article from KQED in the show notes. If you want to try some of Two Seeds Coffee, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can order directly from them online at twoseeds.co, or you can pick some up in Taylor's Market in East Sacramento, or you can head down to Freeport Bakery, pick up a pastry, and have a cup of their espresso roast, which they serve there. The Dine 1-6 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights. Music was provided by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. Listen to another episode next Friday, and until then, Eat something you love with someone you love. Or just enjoy a fresh cup of coffee with them.